We are the paradoxical ape. Bipedal, naked, large-brained, long the master of fire, tools, and language, but still trying to understand ourselves. Aware that death is inevitable, yet filled with optimism. We grow up slowly. We hand down knowledge. We empathize and deceive. We shape the future from our shared understanding of the past. Carta brings together experts from diverse disciplines to exchange insights on who we are and how we got here. An exploration made possible by the generosity of humans like you. Before I start, you'll notice that there are actually two speakers here. I am going to speak out of both sides of my mouth. Um, the other speaker listed here is Carol Padden, uh, who uh, was summoned to Sacramento in her deaconal duties. And so Carol asked me to, to present the work. Carol and I have known each other uh, since she was a toddler. And um, we've been doing this. This particular work is joint work of a large number of people spread around the world. And, and I happen to be the, the other member of this group present here. And so I've been given this honor. Uh, here are some of the other places. There's UCSD here, of course, Tufts University in Boston, and the University of Haifa in Israel. If you look very carefully, you can see me. Um, <laughs> let me see. Uh, where is, in any case, uh, you could see a head in the, behind the van. My job for the last 15 years has been to drive the van. Because <laughs> that's a man's job, and that's what I do. Um, OK, um, I'll talk very briefly about sign languages of the world. First, really most important thing is uh, that there is no single universal sign language. There are many sign languages. And, and we've actually learned a little bit about uh, Nicaraguan sign language. Uh, sign languages, in general, are, are young languages. Um, they're usually small languages. There are some very large ones, like American Sign Language. But American Sign Language or Japanese Sign Language, those are actually atypical uh, in, in terms of their size. What are these languages used for? Well, they're used for social communication, like any other language. Most sign languages are actually quite young. 
the ones we're going to be talking about are very new and were actually created spontaneously in much the same way as Nicaraguan sign language. Others, uh, the oldest sign language for which we have actual records uh, is French sign language from which American sign language comes. But we actually have uh, uh, records from uh, classical Greek times indicating that, that people were signing back then. And there is a wonderful picture that I, I don't have here of a Greek vase that seems to indicate people signing uh, th thousands of years ago. Most sign languages are fairly small languages. And um, those are the ones that we're going to be kind of concentrating on here. We're also interested in new sign languages, sign languages that are emerging. And this is very much within the spirit of what we're talking about here. You can actually watch languages evolve. It, you can't watch language as a human ability evolve, but individual languages you can actually watch. Now, these new sign languages, are they're, they're created under a variety of conditions, villages, schools. Wherever deaf people can find each other, they will pretty much create a sign language. And the patterns uh, of how these sign languages are transmitted vary quite widely among each other. But what really matters is that sign languages usually start off uh, as being iconic. Uh, so we're very much within some of the stuff that, that, that Kenny showed you, um, where you start off with, with some sort of icon iconic patterns. Eventually, they become less iconic. And this is something I could show you examples of later. It's really quite wonderful. But they're all built on the resources of the body. So people have a body, and they use this physical body in order to communicate visually with uh, one another. All right, sign languages of the world. There are many, and there are many different types. Uh, home sign is this, the, the language of the individual who grows up in, in a household where everyone else is hearing. There are family sign languages. Um, a case that just emerged recently is something that, that is called natural sign language. It's just a sign language that's grown up in Nepal among a community of people. It's called natural because it, wasn't, it, it, it grew up by itself, not under any uh, kind of forced circumstances. Village sign languages, that's a very recent I'd say the last uh, oh, 20 years or so, people have begun, been interested in that. And that, that's the, the, our work basically is uh, we work with village sign languages. And then, of course, the Nicaraguan sign language, which grew up in an urban environment, but which is also very new. The point is, there are these many, many different kinds of sign languages. So our question um, is, well, you know, how, how do they get that way, right? We know what they're for, and we know uh, quite vividly, and we, as we've seen examples already, these people can communicate quite well. But how did they get there, right? And how did they get there so quickly? Even the youngest sign languages have grammatical categories. They have fairly well-defined word orders. They have modifiers. They have these, these kind of trappings of, of fully um, fully uh, evolved sign languages. So how did they get there? Well, the way they get there is basically, as we said, by using the body. And 
originally by using the body in iconic ways. Now, I'm going to be talking to you about a very, very small type of organization, um, but I think uh, it is emblematic of how sign languages can use iconic patterns to organize themselves. Okay, so uh, we have to make a distinction between um, two different types of iconicity, and I'll have to get to you in, in a second how that works. So what we're going to do is, in a, we're kind of combining, I think, two, two of the sorts of presentations that you've seen here. We're going to be looking at gesturers, non-signing hearing gesturers, right? And we're going to compare how what their gestures look like with the gestures of, with the signs of signers of new sign languages, right? And what, in this particular task, we're going to concentrate on a fairly narrow task in which we ask people, both hearing gesturers and signers, to identify objects in a picture task. So we show them a picture, and then we just ask them to describe that picture. And for the, for the, for the hearing people, we just say, please gesture, do not speak. And for the signers, we just ask them to, to, to sign the thing for us, okay? So that's the task. Um, we show them pictures of tools, and you'll see why it's important. We vary the number of tools so they don't worry about whether, you know, the, 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 the task, we kind of are distracting them in a way. So they think we care about how many, but we don't really care about how many. We just care about what it is, all right? now. Very important point. We're going to distinguish two types of iconicity. The first we're calling here imagistic iconicity, and that is simply uh, to, to, to depict something. But what we're really interested in is pattern iconicity. And this is, again, within the spirit of what you've seen so far today. What the point is that when languages emerge, patterns emerge, right? So we're interested in the emergence of pattern. We'll see here that this is a very surprising pattern that's going to emerge here. Um, and it's, it's, it's very small. It's not a big pattern. It's a small pattern. Um, but, but I hope you'll see that it's a pretty cool pattern. Okay? All right. So what we're going to show you is we, uh, we show a picture of, a, of three paintbrushes. And we ask UCSD undergraduates to depict those in gesture. And you could see what they're depicting is how the hand holds the object. That's what they're doing, right? So these are handling. They're not very well dressed, but you know. <laughs> we'll have to ignore that. It's your basic UCSD undergraduates. This guy's quite animated. All right, so everybody sees what they do. Now what we're going to do is we're going to show you the same uh, task, except these are young signers of, of Syed Bedouin Sign Language. 
which we have talked about at previous CARTA, um, CARTA meetings. This is a brand new sign language that was created autochthonously in, um, in an isolated Bedouin village by a population initially of four siblings. This is a village with a very high rate of recessive deafness. Okay, and you're gonna see a big difference. What you're gonna see is that these people don't just depict how you handle the object, but they actually show what the shape of this tool is, right? All of them. And by the way, we haven't selected this. I mean, these are, this is what they do. People of different ages, right? Oh, let me ask, it's a question. Did anybody notice the word order difference between the two populations? Right? So the, the, the UCSD undergraduates do the number first and then the, then the thing, and, and the, the Bedouin signers do the thing first and then the number. So they actually have a different word order, which I think is very cool. Um, that's the sort of thing that linguists think is cool. Right? <laughs> okay. So, um, so we have, this, we have these two terms. We have this term handling, right, to talk about what people are doing. And then we have this term instrument to talk about showing the actual thing. So what we're going to show you is there's actually a difference between the two groups. Basically, the gesturers concentrate on simply the handling, how you use it, whereas the signers will depict this uh, as an instrument. In other words, they show you how you use it, but they show, they're most interested in, in, in what it, you know, that, how to depict what the thing is. Okay? All right. Again, and we're looking at this in terms of a pattern of iconicity that these things share. Okay? All right. Um, and you can see this actually not just across uh, communities, but even within a community. So um, what we have here is a, uh, a hearing Bedouin gesturer, and he will tend to use the handling, whereas the, um, the, the, the deaf member of the same community will also depict the object as an instrument, right? Handling versus instrument. Okay, now, question is, what, do we get differences across groups? And uh, that is, of course, what happens. So here are hearing Americans, they're overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly handling. Hearing Bedouins show almost the same distribution. Here is the Bedouin signers, right, the opposite. And guess what? Um, we get the almost the same pattern for American sign language, right? So hearing gesturers concentrate on handling, whereas the, the, the deaf signers concentrate on the instruments. And again, we've given you the same graph, but in a slightly different format to see how this works. Okay, now, I'm gonna show you another experiment that actually, I think, gives you maybe a slightly more subtle insight into all, how all of this works. So what we do in this experiment is we compare responses to pictures, 
with responses to video clips. Oh, by the way, just a small autobiographical point here. We used to use pictures all the time. When we first went into the, video, into the Bedouin village, we would just show people pictures. And, and the older uh, Bedouin signers really had no idea what to do. And we thought that, well, it's just a picture. Doesn't everybody know how to name a picture? I mean, after all, you do that in first grade. And then it suddenly emerged. Duh, first grade. These people never got to first grade. It turns out that picture naming is a learned kind of task. It's nothing that, there's nothing natural about naming pictures. People living out there in the wild don't have pictures that they can point at. Um, so uh, this was really a lesson, a, a cross-cultural lesson to, um, to us. But we were, uh, uh, we were interested in whether simply showing people a static picture versus showing picture, people a video would have an effect. And of course it did, otherwise we uh, wouldn't bother to show it to you, <laughs> right? Okay, so this is what we showed people. So here is simply a brush and here is a, um, a video clip of somebody using the brush. Right, everybody sees that? Okay, and we compare people's responses to those. And it is, of course, actually what you might expect. Um, so when you show people a video, even gesturers, uh, they're much more likely to use handling. But uh, when you show gesturers a picture, then um, they are much more likely to use instruments. Now, I, a little bit of tortured reasoning here, um, but the fact that they were responding so um, the, the, so overwhelmingly to the handling response. The gesturers were, were responding so overwhelmingly to the handling response, even with, even with the pictures, shows you that there is this major difference between how the gesturers are organizing their signal and how the um, signers are organizing their symbol. Right? So what we see is that that there is this difference, right? That has been somehow conventionalized and amplified in this one sign language, um, which is the, the Bedouin sign language, and um, even more so in, in, in the sign language, in American sign language. I'm not gonna talk about it here, but um, it turns out that when you look at other sign languages, we looked at Israeli sign language, it doesn't work that way. Um, so I think what's going on is that signers pick up, this is, they pick up on these patterns. That's what we've, had, what we've seen before in earlier presentations. They're picking up on these patterns, and what matters more is the consistency of the abstract underlying pattern. This is a very abstract notion of, 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 of handling versus also depicting the instrument that they are picking up on. And by the way, when you show people pieces of fruit, this doesn't happen. Uh, because, of course, pieces of fruit are not, they're not instruments. At least not usually, but okay. Um, all right. I think what's, you know, the, the one takeaway lesson that is really important is that languages are, people, people have a drive to communicate. We've talked about this. They, they have a drive to share. Um, which uh, Tecumseh Fitch coined this wonderful German word, which is Mitteilungsbedürfnis, which 
only in German, right? But it basically means a need to share. And, and what we're seeing in all of these cases is that you can, you can increase the power of your sharing by organizing your system. And that's what is going on here. So thank you. And Carol thanks you as well. <laughs>